I've lived a thousand lives. I've piloted a thousand souls. I've killed and fought and died just for another role. This is the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for another And welcome to Season 32, Episode 9 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. My name is Kurt. My name is Riley. In today's episode, Garrett in SoCal asks how GMs can preserve their voice during long sessions. Forlorn Hope 22 asks why GMs want to force their players to do stuff. And new listener Jeff suggests a troop-style game. If you'd like to contribute a question or story to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Announcements. JackerCon, our free annual community-run online gaming extravaganza, is coming up on July 21st through the 23rd. That's very soon. And other days around that time, depending on your time zone. So it's not just those days. If you're somewhere far afield of the Pacific time zone, that's okay. There's still lots of stuff. Currently, there are 15 games scheduled in all different systems, and most still have openings. You can go to happyjacks.org slash community games to see an updated agenda of games. Please keep in mind that the times there are Pacific. So if you're looking at it, like, please do some math. And (laughs) there's a link to the Happy Jacks Discord where you can join and become part of our active gaming community and sign up for any of the games that are listed. All right. And yeah, I'm very excited. I'm hoping to either, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to play in some games on Friday because I'm free that Friday. Or if I'm going to like run a game, it's just like, there's like too many decisions. I need to figure out if I can get my butt in gear and run a one shot that I've been thinking of running for quite some time. Yeah. With, with pre-gen characters. So yeah. designed for as a con game, but called After the Party. Oh. Where everybody has completed the great quest, except they all died. Oh. And you play the NPCs that they met along the way Aww. who have to finish the quest. <laughs> That's very funny. I like that. It's like, good luck. It's, yeah. You're a farmer. Have fun. Yeah, exactly. Have fun storming the castle. Like yep. it work? Not a chance. <laughs> and our indie designer of the month, Allison, a.k.a. Draz, is a queer Chinese dysphoric game designer, writer, and artist who makes games and TTRPG supplements. You can find her stuff on drazillion.itch.io. And the week, this week we're talking about Time Tested, which is a one to four player card-based TTRPG about four friends and how their relationship with each other changes throughout their lives. Can their friendships withstand the test of time or do they go their separate ways? It only takes a standard deck of playing cards and some sort of journal or method of recording things. And that's all you need to play. You can get it for $3 on itch.io. And I was looking at this, it's really cool because no matter how many people are actually playing, whether you're doing it yourself as a solo game or whether there's four people playing, there are four friends who you're telling the story of. And each one is linked with a different suit of cards. Ah. So then as you go through, like there's, you know, the friend who's based on hearts and the ones who's based on spades. And the the goth chick who's based on clubs. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's so, accurate, but it should be. <laughs> it's giving clubs. I was yeah. coming up with a couple of different jokes, and some of them were like, don't tell that one. Yeah. Don't tell that. Oh, that one. That one's that, safe. That <laughs> and yeah, and so like each, you draw cards too, and each of the cards is linked with like prompts. 
And like, it's more, it's not a specific question. Like, like Decima has like a specific question for each mm-hmm. card, but this one has more like concepts. So it's much, much more open. So you get to kind of create it based on this idea or feeling or adjective that's there. Mm-hmm. So it's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's drazillion.itch.io and it's $3 and totally worth it. It looks like, like it. I'm, I was very impressed by kind of like what I saw and the idea that it's four friends, no matter how many people are playing. So you have this like, weaving of different things. And if you're playing with multiple people, like you can each be assigned to certain friends or you can each take turns and like change it up. So it's not like each of you have a player character that you're specifically in charge of. You are all together weaving and creating the story for all four friends. Okay, it's very similar then to After the Floor. What's the... The one with the world's ending, the, the frost giants are coming. The, oh, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Quiet? The quiet year, yeah. quiet year. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. After the flood, I was, I'm like, why are Margaret Atwood books coming into my head? Because <laughs> no. uh, that's very similar in vibe. Yes. Uh, but quite, or quiet year, it's like you're not really playing player characters. You're playing like the whole community yes. and like deciding what the community is doing, that kind of vibe. Yeah, so cool. this is like you are all collaboratively creating this tale of this lifetime of friendships. So. Cool. Yeah. I like card-based games, so I was very excited I to see that one. Tell. <laughs> All right, mailbag number one. It's very long. Riley, do you want to go for this one? Yeah, I'll go for it. I do like the knowing the setup, uh-huh. which is you read earlier, which is uh, how to can GMs preserve their voice, and then I have the like the long, the page long and a half. email. Like, well, let me let me just burn out your you voice. Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, can we can tag in and out. Too. We can hopefully give some good tips. Yeah. On yes. that. All right. Hello, happy jackers. I've been a listener of your podcast for a long while now, but I haven't emailed before. Stu mentioned that there is a need for more emails, so I figured it's time I finally sent you some of my long, simmering questions about the fine art of game mastering. This is a little bit of an older email. A little bit, yeah. I actually sent a similar email a few months ago, but it seems that it was either overlooked or got lost in the wet, deep web and eaten by a group. So, I've made a few changes to what I wrote before, and I am resending my questions. For all intents and purposes, I am still considering this my first <laughs> Happy Jacks email. <laughs> and I am not at all passive-aggressive. <laughs> We'll accept it. It's fine. In the pre-COVID times, when I would run RPGs in person for four-hour sessions, my throat would often start getting a little raw at the end of a game session. A couple of times, my voice would even get a little hoarse later in the day after the game was over and the players had left. This has been less of a problem for me more recently when running shorter sessions online. However, since I hope to get back to running longer in-person games sometime in the future, but I'm done writing this letter, Pandemics and family responsibilities permitting, I think it's a good time for me to seek advice on this topic ahead of time. Now, I know what your first thoughts are going to be. This GM should stop talking so much and let the players talk more. You are surely thinking, but hold on. That's part of my second question. Please try not to get too far ahead of me while you discuss my first question. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. Um, oh, great. Okay. Let's write a, we read the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. there yeah, was yeah. a time when we would pick these things apart yeah. piece by piece. Yeah, I was, I was just pausing to comment on how bossy a, 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 a <laughs> question this is. Uh, I can sort of see why you're running out of, of the ability to talk if this is how you're presenting your entire game session. We love uh, it. The, I love it. The, the type thank me. you for writing in an email yeah. to us. Thank it's, you yeah, very much. I, this, this, it's so great. Just behind the curtain, I was a very last-minute addition to the show. <laughs> But I feel like even if Kimmy knew that I was coming in tonight, this is the email she would have picked for me to read because she loves to roast me by making me read long emails. And then I like to roast them back. So it's all endearing. It's all with love. I appreciate you quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's very funny. That was like the last minute. And also, why don't you read the first one? Yeah. (laughs) I know many of you find podcast hosts 
are also performers of one sort or another. I'm coming back around on this letter writer. This is nice. Um, <laughs> so I figure you're a good group of folks to ask this first question of. What general tips, tricks, techniques, or therapies do you recommend for helping GMs preserve our voices? Levity. As for the second question, <laughs> the idea that the GM should talk less and encourage the players to talk more seems like a good solution. That is, the, I call that the, uh, the Aaron Burr method. <laughs> seems like a good solution for saving the GM's voice on the surface. But that's uh... only an idea. It doesn't necessarily help with the execution. I think the real question here is how can the GM quickly, concisely, and effectively convey the appropriate amount of information about a game setting, atmosphere, and plot hooks to the players so they can make meaningful decisions about what their characters are going to do? For the purposes of this question, let's assume that the setting you're playing in isn't one the players are intimately familiar with, and neither is your standard medieval fantasy. And neither is it your standard medieval fantasy. As the GM, you want to convey plot essential information to the players as well as provide details that set the tone and atmosphere of the game and voice NPCs, sometimes without waiting for the players to decide to go talk to the NPCs. Players don't always notice the little glowing exclamation mark above player, a character's head in tabletop RPG. In mystery and roleplay-heavy scenarios, the GM also has to describe clues and details about NPCs that give players a good idea of who they are interacting with. Plus, many players are going to need reminding of the rules. Sure, you can write up short can you? Short setting summaries <laughs> and in-game news articles for the players to read before a game session, but at best, only half of your players are going to read those write-ups beforehand. And for those that do, page two, you can't expect them to remember more than half of what they read. I think the best way for the game master information across to players remains by speaking during the game. Or am I wrong about that? You can tell me I'm wrong about that. I don't want to put too many qualifiers on this question, but in case it helps, let me offer this example of a campaign setting. Imagine gothic historical fantasy setting where the heroes hunt monsters in a made-up European country in the 17th century. Something like a mashup of Castlevania, Solomon Kane, and Ravenloft. Every detail about the setting doesn't have to be transmitted to players all at once, but it still makes for a game where tone, atmosphere, and the question of why, what does my character know about this thing are key to the experience. What do you think are some of the best practices for verbally feeding that information to the players without the GM eating up all the game time by constantly yapping? I very much appreciate any answers you folks have for me. I'm looking forward to hopefully going to a strategic con or two next year and maybe even taking my family to next year's Ren Fair. Maybe I'll say hi to some of you in person. Though I should probably keep my kids away from the Rogue's Reef stage until they are way older. Yes, I think that's the rule. Um, uh, no, but it should be. <laughs> uh, hope you're all doing well and staying healthy in this ridiculous timeline we're all trapped in. Sincerely, Garrett and SoCal. Is it me, or have your email writers lately lost the habit of telling you to drink? Why is that? PPS, drink. Ah, well, thank you. Uh, I, I wonder if I know this person. <laughs> another time I had such thoughts were... No. <laughs> I'm always being made fun of for the size it's, of my hand. One is an older email me. and... I think you did make it to the Bren Fair. Okay. I have a selfie. Oh, good, have to know, selfie. It's good to know the email had a happy ending. Yeah. Yes. I have okay. literal notes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, yeah, because there were so many questions that we, we didn't stop to answer. So. Yeah. so let's start back with the first one, which yeah. are like, what are some tricks, techniques, therapies to help GMs preserve their voice? All of us here have had experience on stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And whether it's stand-up or acting or singing or teaching all day, it's like so many things. Yeah. Uh, who would like to start? Go, go for it. I want to rest my voice. So yes. y'all can go yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, take a breath. Number one, hydrate. Mm. Drink with water. Lots of wa- with water. <laughs> yes, yeah, specifically, that's why it's called hydration, because it's hydro water. 
hydrate before the game, like the day before the game, hydrate during the game, and then hydrate after the game. All with, just, just keep drinking water. Mm-hmm. You may have to make more trips to the euphemism, but still, hydrate or die straight. I'm going to choose hydrate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> two options. I mean, exactly, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you should hydrate so. in all circumstances, but especially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. I, I didn't realize those are the two choices, but I'm definitely glad that I chose a different one. Right, exactly. So, number two, which is a two part. Well, Don't. number one's what you'll be doing a lot of if you drink that much water. So, right, exactly. <laughs> and I hate those jokes, but it was right there. I just did not. It was like right there. It's, that's our level of humor. Yeah, yeah it, it is. is. But I hate it. Like, oh. I hate it, but I still did it because, like, yep. It's like, oh, uh, my hatred of body humor jokes is trumped only by my love of wordplay. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, so point the second. <laughs> point the second. Don't yell and don't whisper. Yeah. Whispering can be just as dangerous to your voice as yelling. And because of how it physically causes your vocal folds to rub against each other, it's basically like getting a blister on your heel, but on your vocal cords instead. Yeah. So, yeah, don't yell and don't whisper. If you need to project, that is different from yelling, and hopefully you don't have to ever yell over your players. Mm-hmm. So yeah, don't yell, don't whisper. Have a way of getting their attention. Yeah, this a little is... coin-filled jar and shake, shake it, it when they get, <laughs> or a little belly ding, yeah, or like, all right, one, two, three, all eyes on me. Okay, You're like, any... don't do that. They're gonna hate that. But you get. <laughs> You got but, time to lean. You got time to clean. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. But have have some sort of way of getting their attention that does not involve you. Hey, hey, pay attention. Hey, hey. Yeah. Because you will spend so much of your vocal stores mm-hmm. doing that, especially mm-hmm. if you're in like a big game or if you have a very loud like role play heavy table. Sometimes like having literally like a little chime or just waiting or like, all right, like. Any of those things will save a lot of your voice. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Along those same lines, uh, find ways of implementing sound effects that do not require your voice. One of the best ones I ever saw was my wife was running a game at a con and we were talking about you know, what we were going to be doing. And she has these really long fingernails and she just sort of started scratching the underside of the table with her fingernails. And it sounded like skittering. And we all just like, and wait, what, what? <laughs> yeah. you know? and she had just this blank look on her face the whole night it was just, and oh it was it got our attention real freaking it was not loud it was not bombastic mm-hmm. but it got our attention real freaking fast whenever I think of nails making noises I think of Dolly Parton oh, yeah. doing 9 to 5 because yeah. that's yeah. that's how she like did it like with her acrylic nails making the like typewriter sounds and like every time I'm like that is like the coolest thing oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Dolly yep. Parton can do everything she's amazing yep. And then the third, and I I realize you went over this, but I will circle back to it. Find other ways to convey exposition without just reading box text. Agreed. If you need to give a verbal description. Okay, that's fine. We're skipping ahead still. Because that's on the second, like, what can we do? Yeah, he was using all three. Well, no, I mean, this is my third point. And then he went and addressed my third point in the second. I see, okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you need His to verbally describe an area, asking questions that are already provided by the T-shirt, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So the if you need to give a verbal description of a room they just walked into, that's fine. Of course, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But things like you get information about the world from a town crier. Mm-hmm. Well, the town crier maybe it's not a town crier. Maybe it's you pick up a handbill mm-hmm. off the street and you just physically hand out a prop to them mm-hmm. that is. Just you go into Microsoft Word and prepare it ahead of time. And it's 
it's essentially box text that they get to read themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they physically have the thing to refer to later. So it's not a it's not a question of whether they need to remember it or not. They yeah. have the physical object that they can refer to at a later time. Yeah. Those are my three first suggestions. Yeah. Because you addressed a lot of my other ones in your email. Yeah. So <laughs> I also am going to suggest tea. Yeah, was, a little bit of honey. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Honey tea. Or yeah. if you don't like tea, just hot water, lemon juice, and, and honey. honey. Yeah. Just a little. Yeah. And if you want to substitute out the the hot water with bourbon, that also works. I'm not going to not. <laughs> that's a good idea. But you you be your own judge. You're yeah, an adult. But, but, but <laughs> to be fair, too, depends on how long your game is going to go. Because <laughs> if you're like talking about like an hour into a five hour session, you might not want to be hitting the bourbon back too much because you're not going to make it to the five hour session. We, yeah. we, use some, we use something at fair that we call medicinal throat coat, which is equal parts by volume bourbon, lemon juice, and honey. Oh, trust me. I, <laughs> and it, it I just stand up comedy. I just stand up comedy for 20 plus years. I'm very aware of the power of whiskey to get me through a show. Yeah. Yeah, totally <laughs> yes. Cheers to that. Yeah, they um, do have a tea called throat coat, though, which is actually very, very helpful if yeah, you can find that. Awful. It I don't mind it. It's like <laughs> I don't a, either. It's like a eucalyptus. It's actually kind of mm, sweet. Yeah. I got very used to it. But Fair enough. so that's also helpful. It's also something that uh, you need to make sure you're like sitting up and using your diaphragm. If you don't know what I'm talking about, like Google it. There's a bunch of YouTube videos about how to sing and speak properly. And you want to make sure you're speaking from like and using your your body to support your voice rather than just shouting from your throat, because that's going to take away like and every school year I have like the first two weeks of school is me talking constantly for literally almost seven hours a day. It's exhausting. And I can feel that when I'm out of practice and then it's like the third day, I'm like, oh my gosh, my voice. Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm back in it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so really like think about that and look at that and like, are you sitting straight? Are you like slouched over like this while you're talking? Like that all makes huge differences and puts a lot more strain on your voice. Yeah. And the tough love answer too, I do think that if you are, granted, the length of the session does matter to this answer. So we're talking, if we're talking about like a five or six hour game versus like a two or three or 11 or 12, if people do different times of games, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I would say six hours or less, if you're frequently finding that you are having a hard time keeping your voice by the end of game, you are probably talking more in the game than you have to be. Yeah. And that's like, so like there are lots of remedies. There are lots of ways that you can solve the issue. Yeah. But if you are, if it's, if it's a frequent problem that you are burning your voice out in game, you are probably not talking too much. You're probably talking too much, or not too much, but more than you need to be. Yes. And I would say that a, so a solution that I, was, I would say towards resting your voice is making sure you're giving the players a chance to talk. And like, if you need, if you feel like you've been talking a lot, find an excuse in character to sit back and let them talk amongst themselves. Like you mentioned clues. Like if you hand out, like if they go looking for clues and you've given them clue handouts or whatever, give them a chance to talk amongst themselves about the clues they've found that don't require them to necessarily be talking to an NPC in this particular moment. Yeah, that's super key. One other thing, Mm -hmm. uh, to piggyback on what you were saying about sitting up straight, GM standing up. Yeah. It will help. It will Mm -hmm. put your posture better in a better place. It will orient all of your, your wonderful internal organs that are involved in speech much better than slouching in a chair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing for me running games remotely since pandemic is I'm running games sitting down yeah. because I'm sitting in front of a camera. Yeah. But but conventions or at tabletop, you know, home tabletop, actually people around a table, I'm almost always standing through the whole thing. I'll sit down for a bit if I'm not 
if there's a, a lull in what I'm doing because the players are talking amongst themselves, it's like, okay, cool, I'll take this opportunity to sit down for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But seriously, GM standing up, it'll help. Yeah. One thing that I, I agree with you, sitting down during a pandemic or whatever, or remote games, or the one downside for me of doing a lot of games that are on camera or for shows yeah. is that I do like to be able to stand up during yeah. as a player or as a GM, like especially yeah. like during a tense combat. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love to have that like nervous energy kind of flow through mm-hmm. me a little bit more. And I do find that sitting down can be really frustrating. Yes, it's a lot harder to be like good at my voice as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that is totally my instinct too. And usually if anyone comes and sits down at my con table, I'm almost always standing up or sitting on the back of the chair. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's a power trip. Like I have to be higher. And you're and, already uh, tall. I'm already, yeah. <laughs> I mean. Well, you're also canonically bisexual, which makes sense about sitting on the back of a chair. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> So, but it's so hard for me to GM, like, even though I've designed this studio, like, it's the hardest thing. And I have to, like, make sure <laughs> my chair is as high as it possibly goes because they're, yeah. like, adjustable. They go up and down. Yeah. And I'm just like, the highest setting. Okay. <laughs> I feel okay. I feel all right. <laughs> and, gosh, I had another one and I forgot what it was. Darn it. Sorry. Oh, well. No, it's fine. You all had great suggestions. So, I think also just, like, build up to it a little bit. Like, like don't have, like, if you, depending on your lifestyle, like, I talk all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Teaching is just a thing. But if you have something where you don't talk all the time and then you suddenly have this six-hour period where you're talking all the time, that's going to be really difficult for your voice. So make sure you're giving yourself opportunities, whether it's singing in the shower, whether it's like, I don't know, talking along with... The radio. Yeah, the radio, whatever you'd like, having like imaginary conversations, learning a speech. I don't know. Like having conversations and speaking... At other points during your week so yeah. that it's not just like, I mean, singing and speaking is is an athletic activity. Yes. Like anything else. Yeah. So it's like me. I don't run. So I joined the swim team specifically so I would never have to run. And I found out that we had to run. I was very upset. <laughs> but like, yeah, it was awful. Yeah. And I remember I, myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I swim. I'm just like, on the pool. You're like, what? Yeah. They yeah, literally just, tell us not to run near the pool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they make you run in the grass around. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. But anyway, so, like, if I, as a person who does not like running, just am asked to run, I'm going to fail miserably. Like, even at the height of, like, captain of the swim team, high school, like, super, like, getting, like, trophies and stuff, literally, you would ask me to run around the field, and I would feel like I was dying and not be able to do it. This is a different, different kind of conditioning. Exactly. Yeah. And mental just ability. Like, yeah. my brain yeah. says, don't run. I don't run if chased, and I'm I seldom know. chased. Right. So, <laughs> so, like, I haven't been chased since high school. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. I'm the first person to get that double entendre. <laughs> But speaking is one of those physical activities. So if you never do it and then you suddenly are doing a marathon of it, it's going to be really tough on you. So you've got to make sure that you're using your speaking at other points in your week in preparation. To add to that, since I was tough lovey earlier, to add to that, I think that I think that like look up good vocal warmups yeah. because that, that's one thing as a performer like singers do it. I think people who are going to be talking for a while do it. I think also like yeah, especially if you're going to have a session that you know is going to involve a lot of you talking because you know you have a huge info dump if it's an ongoing campaign. Yeah, sure. yeah. Like I just mm-hmm. had a I just had a game recently where I was like revealing kind of the end game of a character's arc, and in order to make it happen, I had to flash back and tell basically the story from her point of view along the timeline of like when things were happening in game. And so like there was a moment where like, okay, everyone sit back. 
while I read my novel to you. And yeah. that was kind of like, I, but I knew going into that game, like I'm going to have to prepare my voice. So I need to like, yeah. be ready for it. The other trick, and this does not work. It does not work the same way for in-person games, especially for convention games or such. But for remote games, it can absolutely work. Something I use is using guest players as exposition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is I do a huge text-based lore dump on a guest player. Plus, I get another player for, you know, a short run. Mm -hmm. I give them a huge lore dump in text form that I don't have to speak. Yeah. And then the lore dump doesn't come from their GM. It comes from this other player. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? And I also get to play with more people that way, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And I get to involve more people into my game, which is cool. And I don't have to be the one reading box text. Yeah. It's the gaming equivalent <laughs> of like, hey, kids, I'm going to put on a movie. Exactly. You, uh, it absolutely <laughs> is. It absolutely yeah. is. I'm going to hang back while you kids watch this movie. And if you're running a long-term campaign, you may have friends who can't commit to yeah. a year or two long game, but they might say, yeah, I could be there for one or two Tuesdays. Yeah. yeah. Right? Sure. And you just work that up and then there, you know, welcome to our latest guest exposition. Yeah. <laughs> it's also it's a great way to incorporate guests into a game too, because one thing I I love being a guest in a long running campaign, like mm -hmm. it's very fun. Sometimes it can be a little bit boring because like you get in the game and you're just playing like, oh, look at this bar that's randomly in this dungeon. And, <laughs> yeah. and like you're like, cool, let me sit around while you all talk about last session and next session and what your planning's gonna be. And I'm not involved in any of it. Yeah. But if you're a guest where you're given a job, that's yeah. fantastic. Being right. a guest in a game where you have like business to handle while yeah. you're there is the best. Feeling. Oh, and actually I will give Kimmy credit for this one because I know, right? You're like, wait, what? What am I being blamed for? So when I ran Hollowed Plains, oh, yeah. there was a session where one of the regular players are, are couldn't make it. all planes hollow? Because that's where people sit inside with the <laughs> other kind of plane. Oh. But uh, there, was a, there was a session where one of the players couldn't make it and you sat in. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is an opportunity to give a whole bunch of, of lore dump about a part of the world that they would have to ask questions about. Mm -hmm. And it would just be them talking at me. But no, they can all talk to each other now. And I will just, I just like, here, Kimmy. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> cool. You are Nosferatu. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. It was fun to be a Nosferatu. I hadn't done a Nosferatu before. Right? Yeah. Oh. So that was they came out. a lot. Of I won an award playing Nosferatu. So we are well a good company. Today. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, I'm usually like Ventru so, and I did a Sedite for a while, which was super fun. Yeah. Ventru and Sedite are almost the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Just replace <laughs> replace money with a with a serpent god. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Yeah, I, I never played a an Osratu until really, but I like it's the idea of them like as underground spies and yeah. things. But yeah, so are we have we you think we technically moved I, on to the I next do, part of this question? Well, or yeah, okay. we definitely moved on to the second part of this email. Yeah. So uh one of the things which we have spoken of before, and especially there are fantastic ones that I love for Savage Worlds are cheat sheets. Because one of the things you specifically mentioned were explaining rules to players all mm -hmm. the time. You were like, well, people aren't going to read them and stuff like that. But actual like well-done little cards that just have basic mechanics on yes. them save so much time. With one ring that I just ran, like I actually made like little five-page packets that had like different sections for all the different mechanics in it. Yeah. And it saved so much time. And actually, there were points where my cheat sheets, the GM ones that were much bigger, like weren't as concise. So the players were like, oh, no, it says this. I was like, okay, yeah, that. So that will save you so much time as a GM. Yeah. 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 I remember a Stork found those that, uh, oh, that he essentially mats. made them placemats. Yeah. yeah. He found this sheet and he laminated it. And they were essentially placemats. And it was like, here are all of your... 
what your dice are and your basic rules and yeah. it even had little pictures of the dice, dice like, that you put your dice on, yeah, the, you put on your, the spot yeah, so it was like you lay it out it adorable. It would, yeah it was yeah. great it was incredibly helpful was for savage very, worlds it was very, very good yeah. and if you look just about every system has some sort of somebody's made something yeah. even I, if the I actual made a, company I has made a, a one page I think a one page cheat sheet for wild talents yeah because I would be running it at cons and nobody knew how wild talents worked yeah <laughs> I want to say, too, that on that note about like players not always reading things, not looking at things, that is true, but some players are like me, and after about a minute of wall of text, I have stopped listening to what you're saying. And it's not intentional, yeah. but my brain glosses over because there's like information overload, and my particular blend uh, of neurodivergence does not always respond well to sitting and listening intently for a while when there's a lot of things around me stimulating me. And I mean, I pick up things better by listening than by reading. You hand me a wall of text to read and I'll get about four lines into it. But you talk at me for hours and I'm fine. We're exactly opposite. Well, no, I'm not even. I'm not even good at reading either. Oh, okay. I'm, I don't know how to read. I never learned. Which oh, is why okay. I was, it was wild that I got through this whole letter. <laughs> Amazing. But I, you it so right. well. I, I, well, I don't like. I, I write. I don't read. I, I, I get other people. You know, to read I've, I've encountered um, other authors who don't read. Yeah, if they write. Yeah. I. Uh, what am I going to edit? Like a peasant. <laughs> I, I, oh my gosh, I know this is accidental, but having both of you here is amazing. So what I was going to say is that like getting to the detail about how do you convey what's in this room to people or what's with like, MP, sorry, this mystery setting or whatever. Um, my hair is like folded around my glasses. Um, well done. All right, I'm giving up on it. All right. Curls are fun. I was going to say like, I have two points to say here, but I'll, I'll start with this one. The first thing is that like, Really be honest with yourself about how much information you think the characters would be able to discern from a room just from passively entering it. Yes. Because I was say my learning style is kinesthetic. So I learn by doing. Mm-hmm. And so if you have like if I walked in this room right now and you only gave me like a moment to like notice things, I would notice the red lights, I would notice like the shape of these things, I would notice you two sitting here and stuff like that. But like I might not have noticed that there were two bottle cap sitting right here. And I, I found one of them because I, I realized I left my, my fidget spinner at home and I needed <laughs> something to, to not use them by. So I like picked this up and I've been popping this cap while talking. But like, that's only because I was like, what do I, I, then I was like looking around, like, what do I need? Oh, I found yeah. this thing. I wouldn't have walked in and been like, oh, there are two bottle caps next mm-hmm. to my seat. Right. So I think that like giving players a chance to look around the room and investigate and if the system recalls for it, role for investigation or something like that right. gives you both a chance to take a breath, gives you a chance to hydrate, mm-hmm. gives the chance for the player to do something and gives you a chance to present the information in a way that's more organic to what the character is doing so that it both will stick out in their mind because they actively sought it out and got it and also saves you from talking. And then the other thing I was going to say is that if you are writing these long lore dumps, one thing I will say that became a very important tool for me in stand-up and I think I still maintain it as a writer today, is that if you are writing a paragraph out, it is good when you're presenting it to people to reread it yourself and go, is there anything in this that I can cut? Because a lot of times you're actually repeating the same point over and over again, or you're putting in too much information. Like with stand-up especially, it was always like, how do I get to the punchline the fastest? And obviously you're not writing jokes all the time when you're presenting a game, but if you come from that mentality of like, how do I get to the punchline in a way that still conveys all the information that I needed. And sometimes it is okay to like not be as poetic or not be as like evocative with your imagery and just make it very clear like that yeah. you don't have to be like a bustling brook 
denses down the middle of the. You can just feel like there's a, there's a little a, less purple. Yeah, I mean, like because it is. It's almost like like it's nice when someone gives you like it evokes emotions and yeah. vibes, but like it's sparingly. Mm-hmm. So that's what I say. I would say go through. Yeah. Look at a paragraph and be ex- be happy to cut out unnecessary yeah. words going yeah. through it. So and and similarly, and then this gets into a much larger conversation. But when you walk into a space, you might notice two, maybe three things visually at most. You might also be notice other, you know, so here's how to edit down, yeah. right? You know, you point out two or three visual things, the apparent size of the room, the lighting, a key feature in the room. Yeah. Something that might be the smell. Attention. Yeah. The mm-hmm. sound. Like, is, does your voice echo as you walk into your footstep? Is there a sound of dripping water? Do you smell decomp? Things like that. And by, by splitting it up, not only are you get to reduce how much you actually say, but people will remember it better because it evokes different parts of what they're paying attention to. Yes. And it evokes different senses. And so you get to be more efficient with your words that way. So I was going to yeah. say all of that is fantastic advice. If you don't want to do any of it, find cool pictures. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, 100%. if it's like, here's a map of what this room looks like, even if you're not actually using maps, yeah. I show I often will show them as like pictures to just have an idea of the layout of something or a photograph of like whatever, like you were talking about, like a castle that's like Ravenloft and all these other things. It's like if you show them a picture of what you have. Like that saves so much speaking and they are able to pull things out. Mm -hmm. Same thing also using, like I never do this, but I've seen it done to great effect. I just can't plan ahead of time enough. But our our friend uh, Wes at 12 Sided Stories does this incredibly in all his campaigns is he has music and he actually composes all the music. You can get all of it at Plate Mail Games. It's incredible. And you can get, yeah, done. It's specifically designed for TTRPGs. So you go into a dungeon or you go into a creepy house and there's like music that like evokes the emotions that you want your players to have. Yeah. Sirenscape is a similar. Product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a bunch of really great ones out there. You can find good playlists on like YouTube and Spotify yeah. that are designed for exactly those kind of things. Yeah. And yeah. just, I mean, also there's also amazing stuff that you just pull it from like music scores from movies, mm-hmm. like all that stuff can really save a lot of description by just like putting that on in the background. Even if you don't have it going constantly, you don't need like a full soundtrack to your whole game, but like. If you walk in the creepy castle, da, 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 or whatever, don't pick that one. That one's bad. <laughs> like Jupiter by Gustav Holst is great battle, like pre-battle music, yeah, or even during the battle music, yeah. So it's it, and it's public domain, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so those are all amazing things too that you can really help add to the depth of a scene without you having to sit there and talk all about it. Yeah. Sorry, visuals is Mars, a great, yeah. Visuals is a great suggestion. I'm, I think about that. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I am especially with the One Ring campaign that just wrapped. Like, I did so much description, but it, I would also like pause and because you have to pace it. Because I also have the thing where I start tuning out if people are talking for too long a time. So I'm like, okay, I would be tuning out now. So then, like, pause for a minute and like ask your players, like, how do you feel being here? Like, mm. and like give them those yes. things. Like those questions that will add to the role playing and give you a moment to not talk. Can you get those open ended questions? Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you can ask them to add stuff to the fiction. Like, what do you notice in this room? I know we've talked about that before. But if you have, like, sometimes in a mystery game, you have very specific things around the room and you don't necessarily want them to mess with it yet. Like, you don't want them to be like, I noticed there's a chandelier. You're like, oh no, it's dark. There's not a chandelier because that's going to mess up this clue or whatever. Like, who knows? Like, I don't know why a chandelier messed up a clue, but 
That's where my brain went right now. But you can have, like, ask them those inward-facing questions. How do you feel? What does this room remind you of? Something like that that gives you a few minutes, gives them time to bond with the room and bond with what's happening in the game. Yeah. And lets you not talk for a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, this mention of, like, first of all, the thing, I, my brain's going a lot of places right now. Yeah. But the thing <laughs> that you said about art and maps and things like that, that is definitely a thing that I started doing a lot more in the time of the distancing mm-hmm. and a lot of like virtual tabletops, like having to use maps a lot more and not being a very good drawer myself. I, I got really good at like finding maps online that were mm-hmm. close to or similar enough to what I wanted to evoke. Yeah. And I would just use those. And then when I started playing in person again, I still a lot of times would like have a computer screen with the map up so you can yeah. look at it and like go like, look, we're not going to use this as a, we're not going to, play on this like the grid or anything but just so you have any of what the room looks like yeah but also yeah this comment about like you can't expect players to remember more than half of what they read yeah that's kind of realistic to what the characters might be like i think like one thing with role-playing games that i think is really interesting is how much we expect the characters to be aware of so much information that mm-hmm. like the characters wouldn't be yeah like that's it's it comes down to the notes thing it's like yeah you can take good notes but like Things that your character would have missed that you didn't take notes on are just things the character doesn't remember or that you've gone. Like a lot of times games are taking place over the course of several years and months. Like it's okay if someone doesn't remember exactly this one thing. And Mm -hmm. if it is really important, you can like remind them. But like lean into that. Lean into people forgetting things and not expecting them to like have like a full beat sheet. And like, yes, if it's getting frustrated that no one's solving the mystery because no one remembers any of the clues, then yes, change up how you're doing it. Mm -hmm. But it's also okay if the characters don't remember every detail because they wouldn't. And again, that's where props can really come in handy of actual physical props that they can refer back to. You know, it's like you give them a map and they they found a map or they Mm -hmm. talked to a cartographer or they went to a library and they tore it out of a book or something. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. That's terrible. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, whatever it is. Right. And or the 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 example I gave before of, you know, instead of a town crier, you have a handbill or something that somebody picked up off the street or somebody had posted a poster of coming to the theater, uh, such person. And you, you find it. You can do a little quick thing and pixeler or something and, and put it together and, and it's very easy and then like when that clue comes back around somebody's gonna go wait a second yeah 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 exactly here it is here it is i saw it yeah that moment <laughs> and they will have the it will be just beautiful mm-hmm. to see them have that moment of epiphany yeah and you can do that even with things that aren't like having props is absolutely but you can write things out of notes that aren't necessarily props, too. Oh, true. Like, it's like, hey, okay, you look around the room and you hand out notes to, like, what different people notice. Like, have them roll Ooh, for yeah. scan or whatever it is. And let's, like, you hand this, okay, so this note just says, you see a vase with what looks like a fingerprint, fingerprint of blood or something like that. Like, it can be very simple, like, post-it notes. And that saves you talking because then they can make, wait, I see a vase and it has oh, there's a fingerprint of blood. And it's much more like organic feeling than you like just narrating at everybody what they see. Yeah. Mm, that's a good idea. Yeah. And then you don't have to go into super specific detail because once like they they see it, then you can be like, oh yeah, it's, you're not sure it's a little smudged, but something like that. But yeah. yeah. And that's really helpful, especially for <laughs> like like mystery games or, or games like that where you plan the clues ahead of time. Yeah. And you know that people are going to find them and you're just not sure what order they're going to find them in or who's going to find them. Right. So you just yeah. have all these little post-it notes and stick them on the you know your little GM screen. And then as people do it, you're like, this is your post-it note. I have done something like that That's before. And my mm-hmm. absolute favorite of is one of the post-it notes or one of the little notes that gets handed out is, this clue says nothing. 
but make it look like you found something really Yeah, important. that's really good. <laughs> something like that. So they're like, oh. Yeah, I did the mistake. What? What'd you find? Nothing. <laughs> nothing, nothing. I didn't nothing find anything yeah. at all. <laughs> I made this, I guess, running a, uh, bit, a very serious game at a con one time. And like, all my stuff is Wonder Woman, right? So I had like Wonder Woman little post-its with like her like standing as like, and it's like, all akimbo. And they're like, okay. And like passing out. And every time people got them, they would just be like, do the, do the little Wonder Woman stance, and it's like okay, it's just killing the tone of everything. But I also would love it. <laughs> so, yeah, be, be aware if you have super like themed post-it notes. All right, all right, cool. I think that's good. Thank you so much, Garrett, for a very old email, but I'm glad we got to it. Eventually, <laughs> yeah, eventually. All right, mailbag number two, Kurt. All right, ready to go. Hello, Happy Jack's crew. Hello. I write this in late January 2022, when the Seattle company has proven they are no longer a trustworthy custodian of the world's most popular TTRPG TM. That probably has nothing to do with the contents of this email, but in the interest of accurate record keeping, dot, dot, dot. Anyway, my question. Because accurate record keeping is essential, or what is it, the Gygaxian... Accurate timekeeping uh, uh, in... No, no, it has to be in, in passive voice. So it oh, was yeah. uh, a reward, truly rewarding game style cannot exist without accurate timekeeping. <laughs> yes, there you go. Anyway. Anyway, my question. It is probably more of a rumination. Why I, have more, it... I have more of a comment than a question. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Why is it... Well, you started with a question it's word. It's fine, yeah. Why is it when DMs ask for advice, it is mostly in terms of forcing their players to do something? How do I make my players play something other than 5e? How can I get them to role-play more? And in terms of focusing on the DM, how do I make role-playing their characters more fun for my group? How can I improve the atmosphere at my table? Just a thought that might lead to good discussion. My confession, I am bad at fate. Well, you're not a fatalist. It's fine. You know, you're just going more with the flow. It's they fine. make that joke in the email that you're reading, right? Know, right? <laughs> fate the TTRPG, not fate the metaphysical force, just to be clear. I don't pre-read these. <laughs> I am a player and GM that has been doing this since the early 90s. I have run more systems than I can easily count. Reading Fate 10 years ago, I found it revolutionary. The narrative focus instead physics simulation that went before it. Such a simple idea that improves the flow of the storytelling, although not the flow of the sentence. I use the same it's thought fun. process. It's fun, right? You're, you're getting it now. A, a little I, bit of, yeah. I use the same thought process in every other game I run. I even use the creative world section to build long-term D&D campaigns with my players in session zero. But every time I try to introduce someone to how amazing this game is, that session is nothing short of boring. It probably has to do with player input. When I run something like D&D, I can tutor new players as we go. What do you want to do here? What does your character feel? Describe it to me. But in Fate, the player is supposed to be adding traits to scenes and encounters. They are supposed to be spending their Fate points on practically everything. I can't get that across. Every one shot always feels like a less satisfying stripped-down 2E D&D session with players only making choices for their own characters and hoarding Fate points like they are healing potions in a video game. <laughs> I, so I am bad at fate because I always end up playing it as if it were a different game. I think you've answered your own question. <laughs> if indeed there was a question. Thanks, and I hope your characters all reach their catharsis before their heroic deaths. Huzzah. Forlorn Hope 22. I have not even attempted to run fate. I own the book, and I have played it. And the last time I played it, which was pre-pandemic, I thought I was just beginning to grok it. Mm -hmm. But only as a player. Yeah. I cannot even begin to understand how to run 
that system. So I am with you on that one. (laughs) It is a, a very, very different attitude towards gaming than most other systems. But at some point, you will beat your head against the wall long enough that suddenly, like someone turn on a light switch, it will come to you. Or you will give up and go on to other things that make you happy in the short term. Yeah. That, that I mean. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little bit too wiggly for me. Like, it's just like, I like it. I like the the concept behind it. Yeah. And I really love I Hunt, which is a, a fate game. And I, I can play that one. I don't know if I could run it, but there's been a lot of other ones I've played. Dave Kazea, like, has written a bunch of them and he ran a bunch for us back in the day. And like, I always had such a great time because he could like, make it happen like it's like the the yeah. thing where like a good gm can make the system oh, disappear yeah. no, for me it was a <laughs> friend of the show patrick raleigh yeah he ran fake games that were essentially pacific rim yeah it was set in the pacific rim world and it, they ran it in fate and uh, yeah no he made it so that we could understand yeah yeah so and i think that's a big part of that's it. that's a huge part of it but if you're trying to be that gm more power to you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, I unfortunately do not have any advice for that. Yeah. All right. So let's focus on Forlorn Hope's like first pseudo question. Like, why do people always ask, why are DMs constantly trying to get people to do things? Well, because players are stubborn, foolish monsters who need to be told what to do. They need discipline. They need to be told. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, of course... Don't believe that. Because yeah, if I'm you're writing into the show, you're almost certainly a GM and you have already said that you are a GM <laughs> and therefore the problem cannot possibly be with you. <laughs> and I don't mean you, Forlorn Home, I mean all of the other people who write into the... Mm-hmm. the so the can't, problem can't, can't possibly be with, be with you, the GM, so the problem must be with the players. Right. It can't possibly be with the, the one and only game system that I love <laughs> that has been tried and tested for decades and is obviously the perfect thing, so it must be the players. Well, no, I, I don't... I'm going to push back on that a little yeah. bit. As someone who works with people... No, who I, I'm being questions. very tongue-in-cheek. I know. <laughs> but when people... Often when people say, how can I make people do this? It's not because they think there's something wrong with the people they're trying to get to do something. Sure. They realize that there is a a lack in their ability to get people to do something. Yeah. yeah. So it's more like, how can I... Is them acknowledging, like, there's a lack in what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. The real question usually is like, how do I get people to be enthusiastic about doing this thing? Yeah. yeah. Like, if you're running games and you're GMing, like, there is a degree of like, well, this is the game we're running, so if you want to play, we're playing it, and that's like making them do it. But like, if there's no enthusiasm buy-in, it's not going to be a fun game for anybody involved. Right. So yeah, I think that's the real questions are, I don't know if they're, act- I don't think they're actually asking all these questions. No, they're not. No, those no. are examples of questions. But yeah, I think that that's like the, I think the how do I make them, I think the reason why people do it in terms of forcing people to do stuff is more because, like you said, their own insecurity about not being able to do it. Yeah. And they're trying to like, how do I make this work? Yeah. Yeah. I have, a lot of it can be the types of players you're playing with. Because mm-hmm. there are very proactive players who will, you're not asking these questions about them. Yeah. They're, they're already doing all of that. And then there are reactive players who, or occasionally inactive players, but who their enjoyment comes from sitting back, watching it unfold in front of them and participating at individual moments, whereas they're not instigators. And they're almost certainly, yes, having fun. Otherwise, they wouldn't show up week after week. But got nowhere else to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and, I, yeah. Yeah, and like what you were saying, like, Forlorn Hope's not actually asking these questions. Ah. The through line with all these things is, like, why are they saying, how can I do another system? How can I do these things? Right. 
And it's very similar to, like I talk about this all the time, like like new teachers mm-hmm. and like parenting Facebook groups and things yeah. like that, where it's like, how can I get my kid to remember the alphabet? How can I get the kids to, you know, I'm having trouble with them with this particular chapter of the book. They're not meta question of, yeah, like, why are we asking these questions of the players instead of of the GMs? Well, yeah. And so I think your argument is... We are asking those questions of the GM. <laughs> yeah, that is how they are <laughs> phrasing a question about how they can change their own yeah, actions. Yeah. So it seems, and the way it's worded a lot of time, just because of like how human psychology works, is how can I make them do this? But the question is not how can I make them do this? It's what can I change about what I'm doing to get them yes, to do this? Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I think they're just not, it's a symptom of people not being very specific with their language, but still getting to the same basic points. Yeah. So I think that's how it's phrased a lot, especially like the emails we get. But it's more like, I feel like semantics than them actually being yeah. like, how do I make my players play something besides yeah. 5E? And I think, I think there is kind of like a tongue-in-cheek fun to being like, how do I get these kids in line? Yeah. There is that kind of like thing. 100%. And like you said, level of projection happening as well. So yeah. I, I think yeah. that, I think there's a, there's a playfulness to it. There's projection. There is simplifying a more complicated phrasing. All those things come together in yeah. this little soup. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because, yeah, it's hard to, especially when people are being vulnerable, they're writing into people who they have like a little bit of a relationship with, but like, like to be kind of a little bit brought out and roasted sometimes yeah. On, yeah. The, on the internet. So it's hard for them sometimes to be like, and some of them are really great about like, I am not good at this. How can I get better about this? But a lot of times people, when they're seeing a lack of something in their game or their hobby or whatever they're doing, it's hard for them to really like trace back and think about, okay, what in my actions mm-hmm. is causing this? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And that's not something a lot of people have to do very often in their lives, especially like most people with like office jobs and things like that. There's not like, there's not a whole lot of like, okay, in this small community that I've made, how do I affect the behavior of all these other people? That's just not a thing that we have in a lot of modern day society. So like, practicing that bringing it back to yourself is is difficult i will say that i have learned some of those tricks from gming mm-hmm. that i have implemented in my corporate office job absolutely to varying degrees of of effect or effectiveness mm-hmm. and since i'm now in charge of people which is still kind of weird. i know right it's kind of weird been more it's been a year and a half and it's i'm still wrapping my brain around it <laughs> but you know it's just getting people to engage more or or to to get done what i want them to get done Mm -hmm. is there are tricks that you can learn either through getting an mba or through gaming at a table (laughs) and most of the time the first thing it does it starts with self-reflection it does like what am i doing that is not getting to this end first and what can i change about my behavior that will then affect their behavior yeah to get to the second part of this question i am also not a fate player but I have had some experience with trying to introduce players to game systems that they're less familiar with outside of like the big ones that are like you're going to hear on a lot of like podcasts and stuff like that. And I, I do think that this thing about like I end up playing it as if it was a different game. I think like a game like Fate that requires so much buy-in on behalf of the players to learn the system and like invest in the system. I think there's a lot of needing to have conversations ahead of time of like, this is what this game is. Does doing this, it actually interest you? And like, mm-hmm. maybe even like having a couple of like dummy stat sheets that are like, here's kind of what it's going to look like. Here's what we're going to do. 
does this appeal to you? Mm-hmm. And that way, maybe you can avoid this aspect of the session zero being boring to people because there's they don't know how to put the player input in there. Yeah, I think like maybe like having a, a completed thing like here's what someone did that this person put these points into this scenario. This is what happened. This is how the game is played. Is this something you want to be doing? Mm-hmm. And then like that gives them the kind of ability to like buy into it a little bit more. Like, that's a thought that I have. But. Yeah. So question, because as I said, I have not tried to run Fate. I have also not tried to run anything powered by the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And having played both, that they are both much more narrative-based than other. Is there a long game, a long-run style of getting people used to it by maybe, instead of jumping from D&D to Fate, go to a PBTA game yeah. first... So you can get an understanding, you can get the narrative concept across first and then go from there to fate. Is that a smaller jump? And I ask this of people who are far more experienced with PBTA than I am. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. it's like, I don't know if this is... And it the, depends on which PBTA answer might be no. Because <laughs> PBTA games are so varied. So many. There are some games that require almost as much player building at the beginning of the game as fate. Like, if you're playing a game like like Monster Hearts, a lot of times you're like building a whole setting mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the game and talking about things. Right. Whereas like some PPK games, like there's already a setting that's that's pre-designed for the game, and you're just like walking around this built this city that's already there. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. Uh, Threadbare. I remember we basically had to generate the entire world. Yeah. But masks. You've got Halcyon City and and that. If you is, want to, yeah. If you want to, yeah. Yeah. It is available to you. Exactly. If you want to yeah. use it. Yes. Whereas there almost isn't one for some of these other, like you said. Yeah. So, yeah. I um, think, like, I, and I know this is kind of a cop-out answer, but I think it depends on the GM. Sure. Like, anything, like, I love Mook, miss him terribly. He was an incredible GURPS GM. Yeah. Like, he could make GURPS disappear. Like, all oh, the yeah. crunchiness of it, you would sit at that table and you would feel like you were playing PBTA or something. Totally narrative. And it was amazing because yeah. he just knew the system so well. Mm-hmm. And I felt that same way when I played in Dave Kazay's games with yeah. his, his like, he Bedlam designed Hall a bunch, yeah, Bedlam or, Hall, he did a bunch yeah. of Fate games himself. When you sat down and played at that table, like, all the weirdness of Fate disappeared yeah. because he was so good at it. So I would feel like... Made it so seamless. Yeah, so, like, if you know PBTA super well... I don't know if that would really make an easier jump to fate if you're still not good with fate. Yeah. So that it's one of those things where as a GM, you've got to practice it. You're going to fall on your face a bunch yep. yeah. and you're going to get better at it if okay. you really want to play that or find something else. You don't have to be good at fate if you don't That's like true. it. It might yeah. even be worth if you, if you If you like fate, and you're struggling with how to present fate to new players mm-hmm. in a way that's engaging and makes them excited to play it, which is what I'm getting from this question, is like, I want to run fate people better than I currently am, but mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that. I think that like if your biggest concern is you feel like you're not pitching it well to people, maybe try running through the practice pitch a few times. Like, yeah. Maybe because I do think like piggybacking off of what Kimmy just said about PBTA, if you're already frustrated about getting people to buy into a new game, it might not be the best solution of like, well, now I've learned a, a different game to deal with it before I get to the game that I want to get to. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then you might like burn out before you get to your game. Yeah. I think like if your biggest like struggle is how do you properly pitch fate to people so they want to play it i think try to pitch fate to a few like hey hey would you mind if i just ran this like session zero by you to see how like do a session zero for your session zero yeah you know? ooh, ooh. and that is a good idea this is really situational whether you actually have this available but 
if you have played Fate and you enjoyed it, can you maybe invite the GM who made Fate so enjoyable to you mm-hmm. to run a one-shot for your table? Oh, yeah. So you do the introduction part by someone who really knows it, really gets it, really mm-hmm. gets people involved and, and enticed. Yeah. And then say, okay, that was great. Did people enjoy it? Cool. I'm going to try running a different one. It's not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the same quality. Mm-hmm. But we have the initial buy-in. Yeah. And now we can work together to get the overall. Now, yeah. if you're in Bering, Alaska, and you have four friends who play in, in the, the greater like 30-mile radius, okay, this is going to be harder. <laughs> but and, yeah. and we are spoiled here in Southern California. We yeah. have such yeah. a dense population of gamers. So maybe that isn't an option for you. But if it is, maybe think about it. Yeah, online yeah. gaming. And honestly, I mean, online gaming too, yeah. yeah, and they have a whole system of there's like websites where you can hire GMs to run games. Mm-hmm. So maybe go see. I know a couple. Yeah, it's maybe go see if you can find an amazing fate GM who's willing to run a one shot for you and your group remotely. And then like, OK, we all have the basics of the system down. We all have a fundamental understanding of how to play. And that'll make your first couple sessions jamming much easier. Yeah. Or maybe even use access to an online gaming community like the Happy Jacks RPG Discord. <laughs> I know, I do know that in this case, they, the uh, that Forlorn Hope did say that they read Fate 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. So that is like, an example. like, that's a great advice as a more general advice. But I think for this particular question, asker, yeah. I do think like you're like hiring a GM who knows how to run Fate to like mm-hmm. give you a couple sample sessions. I think there are probably definitely some good tutorials on the YouTubes for like a lot of games. Like, here's how to set up a game. I think so. Fate might have one for that. And yeah, I think maybe even going yeah. into the Discord for like, you know, for this yeah. channel and saying, does anybody know how to help? Who's had good success stories with, you know, onboarding people for, for Fate? What'd you do? Yeah. How was it? Yeah. And, yeah. and finding actual plays. So I know we have yes. a bunch of one shots of Fate. I don't think we have any actual campaigns yeah. in Fate. But I, I do not recommend the Adventure Zone <laughs> mini campaign in Fate because it was. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. It was like their second campaign ever. And it yeah. was being run by Clint McElroy, who was like just learning how to role play still. It was very fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of options out yeah. there for, for figuring it out. And uh, thank you for learning. Thank you. Yes. All right. It's mailbag number three. It's my turn to read. Hi, Happy Jacks podcast. My name is Jeff. I am a lifelong forever GM, but a new listener to the podcast. Welcome. Yay. Welcome. Hi, Jeff. Which was recommended to me by the TTRPG community on TikTok. Hey, TikTok hey. is good for something. Hey. That's shocking to me. Because <laughs> we we do have a TikTok. Yeah. But I haven't logged into it in over a year. Well, it is recommended by the TTRPG community right. on TikTok. Which so. is nice because we have like a rep, I guess. That's yeah. cool. I, I need to log back in. I was super into it all last summer. And then like school started. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I have zero. It takes a long time to TikTok. Surprisingly long time. Yeah. I'm emailing in reaction to the listener email from Rabbit on the recent season 32, episode six episode. Wait, that was last week. Yeah. No. No? No. That That was was three weeks ago. Yeah. Where they described a campaign premise designed to accommodate frequently missing players. The premise was the PCs randomly teleported between worlds each session as part of a quest to save the world naturally. But only the PCs of the players at the table do so, allowing an in-world reason why only some of the PCs are there in the action at any given point. It's quantum leap. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool and wanted to share a system I've developed slash stolen from other (laughs) games to handle my group. We're always at least one player down. I also wanted to talk about this because I run this in GURPS. Yeah! 
Woo! <laughs> and I'm always looking to gin up some group's enthusiasm. I run, I'm sure this is what happened. Okay, now that I know how this happened in TikTok now, people, he was like, oh, I play groups. Everyone's like, groups? And he's like, yeah, who plays groups? And everyone's like, I think those weirdos over at the Happy Jacks. <laughs> like, this, this is how he found us. Uh, they, they said, Irma Gerd. Irma Yeah. And like, we're the ones. Hello. I run a troop style game set in a low fantasy wartime setting in GURPS. Uh, the party is a squad, the Flaming Vipers, in a mercenary company, the Kalama Free Company, comprised of 15 player characters. Whoa. 15, 15 player, player characters. characters. For context, there are five players at the table. Okay. All 15 squad members were created by the players, except for one, who is an NPC I created for the PC that the PC recruited. I've stolen the mission downtime campaign structure from Band of Blades, a fabulous forge in the dark game. And each mission, the players choose the PCs that will go on the mission. Oh, okay. The um, sorry, that was me. It's it's <laughs> like the old Mission Impossible television series where at the beginning mm-hmm. Jim Phelps is like going through his dossier and is like, I pick him and him yeah. and her and him. And that's who I need for this crew. We're for, putting together for, a team. A right, team, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm picturing like in MMOs, there's I tried like... I to do this long time ago and I talked to Unhappy Jacks about it yeah. like season two. Oh. <laughs> it's like when you're playing old school like turn-based RPG and you yeah. have to pick like which characters are in your traveling party. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sort of like walking yeah. around. Yeah. Yep, and you're like, okay, we're fighting this one so I need the caster right. and yeah. I need, yeah. Okay. I need the thief, I need the strongman, uh-huh. I need yeah. the face. And I need the specialist for this mission. Yeah. In this case, is mm, yeah X. This is pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. The critical part of this setup is the players play different PCs on each mission. Oh. We've been playing weekly for just over a year now, and every player. How did you get your players to show up weekly for that's over the, a year? That's the thing is. Well, they they have fifteen players and only five oh, 15, show up. Fifteen so. player characters. Uh, yeah, oh, I no, saw it's five, five players, players, and they just rotate through. But but he gets to that. Okay. Okay. For over a year now, and every player has played almost every PC at least once. Players, of course, have their favorites, and usually the PC they cre- usually the PC they created. But this is ideal for my group, which frequently has one to two absences each session. Mid mission, if a player cannot come to the next session, any other player can pick up their PC. Oh, because that's the whole premise of the campaign. That player has almost certainly played that PC in the past and contributed to the narrative development of their personality and backstory. This troop style system works great in GURPS too, because I can't do it. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> GURPS has universal mechanics, especially combat mechanics. It's not like DD where each class has a unique set of mechanics and fiddly bits. Once you understand how to fight tactically, 90% of the squad is very easy to play. The only exception being the few mages. Yeah, mages are weird in GURPS. Yeah. But it's a low magic game, so it's usually just learning just a few spells, which all have unified mechanics for determining damage and effects. It's worked very well, and the players love it, especially the downtime and stress mechanics I also conceptually copied from Band of Blades and homebrewed into GURPS. I'd be very interested in seeing that particular piece. I do have a question, believe it or not, as a new listener to the podcast. Do you all actually play GURPS? (laughs) I so rarely find fellow GURPS lovers. Where do you all hang out, and can I join? Uh, They hang out with the previous owner of this (laughs) channel. All Uh, the best, Jeff Geek underscore the underscore GM on TikTok. All right. Yes, we actually do play GURPS. We have a, a quite a few APs in GURPS, actually. Yeah. And, and Stu, uh, Stu ran the Eldemy in GURPS. Yeah. He's um, done a couple of GURPS. Um, Mook has a has a run he did on GURPS that was well, like our first remote game, like way pre-pandemic, which was very interesting. And Bill's playing from like England when he had a job in England for a right, while. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, we do play GURPS. We know GURPS. We I don't think we have any currently going on, but no. that's not a knock on GURPS. That's a we've got other things going on at the moment. Yeah, we play um, a lot of weird dis- different systems. We rotate between a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. It's basically whatever the GM is wanting to play. What's the fun game that GM wants right, to do? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. But Stu keeps saying he's going to come back and run another. He's probably going to run GURPS. Of course. Yeah. Because it's what he Wherever is. he is. Because yeah. that, that Stu's line is that sounds like a really cool game. Bet you I could run it in GURPS. I bet I could run Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because you can. I, like, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. It's like everything works in GURPS except me. Magic's a little weird. Magic is a little yeah. weird, but it's it works. It does work. And it does work the same way every time, just like Jeff was saying, which is kind of helpful. Like, yeah. Yeah, so I, I do... Hero is a similar yeah. kind of thing yeah. along those lines. Yeah. So. so yeah, I guess if you want to hang out with us, you can go to our Discord, happyducks.org slash Discord, and Absolutely. hang out there with us. Which, um, uh, our moderator wonderfully put a link thanks, into James. the chat. Yeah, but yeah, um, people there talk about GURPS a lot, yep. surprisingly. It's, it's a good group for GURPS. The GURPS group. GURPS group. GURPS group. Yeah. GURPS group. See, now I want to write like a Dr. Seuss book that's all about GURPS group. <laughs> yeah, and I, I want to say... I wouldn't like, recommend I, using that particular pen name. No. Like, yeah, sure. Go for it. No, no, but like, <laughs> like all the r- uh-huh. the rhyming words, like. Well, I mean, the term the cat in the hat and the de- and it's the, like the term nerd is a Seussian word. Yes, Doctor <laughs> Seuss came up with it. He, yes. he coined it, so it it works. <laughs> I, I do want to add, like, just mm-hmm. to take this troop system sounds like a really fun and interesting and innovative yeah. thing, and I think it's cool that you thought of this and that it works well for your group. I think that like I'm a fan of when. Groups and GMs especially find ways to make player absences work for the story. Yeah, and like I think that that's a great one. Like we we I, we played an Emily's game here on the channel where she made it alternate universes. So mm-hmm. if if one episode somebody wasn't here, a lot of times she would just rule it as like, oh, that character doesn't isn't at this school in this universe or isn't here for some reason in this right. universe. Yeah, and that was really interesting to me. I've also done a lot of like campaigns where it might be like more of a series of one shots and so it's just like mm-hmm. hey you know what your character wasn't hired for this quest this particular yeah. week and it's very similar to you're not pulled into yeah. this universe and, and if go. you're running a very episodic campaign where the task at hand can be handled in a single session or maybe two as yeah. you described then this works very very well yeah i don't run those kinds of games so i don't know how well this would work for me but i yeah. am intrigued by the prospect because i did try doing something along these lines where back when I was running Vampire every other day, and I would have, I had like eight or nine different players, but no, 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 but only like four or five at a particular session because nobody could commit to all of the campaign. Yeah. But the element here that really caught me by surprise, honestly, is the fact that you have five players and you have 15 player characters. And while there are characters that individual players have created and so may have a sense of ownership of that character any character might be played by any player at any given session to me that is like (laughs) it's really cool that you have a dynamic at the table where everyone has that level of trust yes that is huge yeah i mean good on you and your players that is amazing yeah Um, because i'm not sure like I tend to get very like oh, yeah. possessive of my character sometimes. Sure, me too. I guess if I knew that's what it was walking in, yeah. I would be okay with it. But yeah, it's very interesting. It's a lot of yes anding. Oh yeah. And in a way that is, it's interesting to see that with people who are just like in a home game friends. Yeah. So please write in and tell us more about this game. The, yeah, like because yes, yeah, seriously, that that is fascinating to me. And um, I think it's a really astute observation that this only works because it's like GURPS. 
because once you get the mechanics of GURPS, you can pick up just about anything. Okay, I, I can yeah. play this. Yeah. Whereas if it was D&D, like you'd have to have a bunch of experts at D&D or every time they picked up a different character, you'd have to be explaining how yeah. to play that character a little bit differently, which is why I always play like fighters, sometimes paladins, but mostly fighters because it's like yeah. the easiest thing. It's not a lot of stuff to remember. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at remembering most, like I could pick up most D&D classes and play at the beginning to end with that class, mm-hmm. especially because like sheets that help like if you like know your traits and stuff like that. But like having to swap possibly between different ones each time would be challenging. So yeah, yeah I agree with yeah. that. I just started a new D&D campaign where I am playing one of the two classes I do not grok. <laughs> yeah. I, I do not understand druids and I'm trying. I'm trying to learn how to how to druid it's funny aside i that's how i came to love clerics because i did that myself i played a cleric in a campaign that ended up becoming one of my favorite characters of all time and i am currently doing that with a druid then i have a ranger in the wings i I typically Mm -hmm. typically wildernessy type characters don't rock well with me Ah. Mm -hmm. and so i tend to not play them and so i because i'm like well it happened with it happened with clerics so let's try it it, let's just try it with it and it's a similar thing yeah but yeah this is just, I think this is really innovative. I would love to be a fly on a wall for a session like that to see how people yeah. hand off characters well. Because also, like you mentioned the yes anding, you're not just yes anding, yes anding someone who wasn't, you aren't there when they were playing this character. So yeah. you might not know exactly like, it's almost like playing Exquisite Corpse at that point mm-hmm. where you're like, I had the last page of this book they wrote, this this thing they wrote, I have to now just take their, their thing and move on to the next one. It's such an interesting concept. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, do you, do, do they take notes on the character sheets so that, like, oh, when I someone picks so. it up the next time, like, they... Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. That I feel like this is really a whole cool. new TTRPG in, in and of itself. I, right? Yeah. Like, hmm. Oh, that's... Yeah. Wow. Okay, Closest, Jeff. Yeah. Come be our friend. We're, we're curious about this. <laughs> we find you interesting and wish to subscribe yeah. to your newsletter. Yes. I, I find Jeff interesting, but I find this whole table interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the troop element... The idea of a troop of TTRPG players that are collectively telling a story and collectively sharing, first of all, it's, it's role-playing communism, which is amazing. Yeah, but yeah I, I, this is a fascinating table, and I, I, I give kudos to your entire table for being Seriously. so game yeah. yeah, absolutely. So cool. All right. Thank you for joining us for Season 32, Episode 9 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. Please support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Allison, at drazillion.itch.io. Thank you to our chat mod, James B, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can join their incredible ranks at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. My name is Kimmy. I am an Emmy-nominated yes. tabletop RPG designer. Yes, you are. As of like a couple days ago, it was very weird. Um, I have no idea. I've looked about when the voting starts. Please, when voting starts, I don't know when because it doesn't say on their website right now. <laughs> Please go <laughs> vote for Decima by Golden Lesso Games for the best non-digital accessory slash aid, which is a very sexy category to be in. <laughs> I hope it's last listed like that. If I win the trophy, I hope it's like non-digital, non-digital like aid slash accessory. Slash yeah. <laughs> okay, wow. I hope it says that. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, it's very exciting. So yeah, I'm I'm using my time. So all right. <laughs> I'm Kimmy and then but you you had the thing to announce as well, right? Uh yes, I'm Kurt and those of you who have followed for long uh know that I am in a band called Sportive Tricks, and we have a show coming up at the end of this month in Seal Beach, California, which is down there near uh, Long Beach and Cypress and stuff like that. We are we'll be playing at Hennessy's Irish Tavern in Seal Beach on July the 29th. 
downbeat at 8 p.m. There's no cover, just it's not a particularly large venue. So if you want to get a seat, I recommend getting there early, like 6.30, 7 o'clock or something like that. And we'll be playing uh, three sets until 11 and uh, come down and, and have some fun with us. Woo-hoo. Hey, I'm Riley Silverman, and I have a couple gaming things. I have a Doctor Who RPG podcast called The Game of Rassilon. We just launched our fifth and final season, and oh. so we did two sessions where... So Cubo 7, who makes Doctor Who RPG, did a 5e version of their system called Doctors and Daleks, and so we, oh. as for fun, we ran the first two episodes of the season in that system instead. It was very fun for the stories that we told because I wanted to do a big race episode, and so it was really fun to do. And it was It's called Death Race 200, which makes me laugh, because it's, it's a death race set in ancient Rome. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's a chariot race. Ben-Hur style. Yeah, yes. death, death Race 200. And so that's there. And then we... So that, that is going on right now. Those are the two episodes that have dropped so far. And then after that, we'll go back to playing the, the Vortex bespoke system for Doctor Who that people have been created. And then my other RPG show is a podcast called Strumpets and Flagons, which is a thirsty sword lesbian's actual play. And we are, I think, by the time the podcast drops, our final episode of the first season will have dropped. So you can check that out and listen to the entire first season of the show. It's very silly and fun and so gay. Yeah. And then <laughs> last but not least, I wrote a pair of essays for a book that is part of, of artist Karen Hallian's She Series, which mm. is a, a collection of art and essays about important women in history and in pop culture. And each artwork. It's all of Karen's art paired with an essay about them. There are some pretty awesome names involved in both the women that are being featured and in the women who are writing. I wrote two essays. I wrote one for Lucille Ball and one for Marsha P. Johnson. And it's really cool. cool. And so check that out. Uh, basically, she has now Karen. It is an independently released book through Karen. So you can get it. I think it's on her Etsy page. But if, yeah. you, if you type Karen Halley and She Series book, you'll get a link to the Etsy page. But there's some wildly Amazing people involved in this book, like Jody yeah. Hauser wrote for the book. Like Catherine, like like Catherine Dange, Catherine Janeway wrote for this book. Yeah, like she's amazing. Kate Mulgrew. I keep wanting to say I kept wanting to say Catherine Mulgrew. Like, yeah. that's, that's not right. Sorry. Yeah, but she wrote yeah. for this book. It's yeah. wild. So and yeah. I and I backed the Kickstarter for that, and I got the book, and it is beautiful. Yeah. I'm actually planning on buying yeah. another one, and like very carefully, like taking it out of the binding, and then putting up the pictures of all like these nice. women around the room. Yeah, in your classroom. Yeah, yeah, nice. around my classroom because there's there are these beautiful like kind of, most of them are profile sure. like illustrations of these amazing women from yeah. history and pop culture and all these things within a single word that kind of describes them. Yeah, like rise or write or create or yeah, things laugh. like that. Yeah, yeah, laugh. Like it's so good and they're beautiful and. Then each one is paired with an amazing essay. And I didn't realize that you were the one for, like, totally read Lucia Ball, and it was great. Yeah. And I didn't know you were involved in that. Yeah. Cool. yeah. It was yeah. wild because I wrote those before I wrote my Star Wars books, but it's oh. almost two more years. So yeah. it's come well, out. she had to do yeah. all the drama. Yeah. It's so much work, but yeah. they're beautiful. And it's an incredible book. And I was, I backed it because I loved it. And then, like, I was really pleased with the quality of it when I actually got the It's final a book. really well done It book. is, yeah. Cool. My, I sent my, because I backed it on Kickstarter as well, mm-hmm. but I knew that I was going to get copies as an author, so mm-hmm. I sent my Kickstarter copy to my mom, oh, and nice. I can definitely tell that my mom understands this book more than the Star Wars books, because like, <laughs> she likes having the Star Wars books, she was happy to have me sign those for her, mm-hmm. but this one, she like actively was like, oh, I just you did such a great job writing that book, <laughs> yeah. you actually read this one, you did not read the Star Wars books. <laughs> 
This one just doesn't yeah. just sit on the shelf. Yeah. yeah also, table. I have Star Wars books. I should mention that as yeah. well. Yeah. But I don't want to give my entire bio. But yeah, the Karen thing, like, I've been paid for this project. Like, my, I'm not making anything else off of it at this point. But it is just not, I like that it's now available to be purchased outside of the Kickstarter, which yeah. is a relatively new development. So as I'm mentioning like, it more because three weeks we're all, ago. Where yeah, all yeah. great books can be found. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> all right. So thank you so much. This week, we're going to leave you with a song called The Rose and Key Inn. It is by a band called Sword of Tricks that Kurt is in. Yes. And uh, yeah, you can hear it and a bunch of other songs if you go see them live pretty soon. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Lay down your plow at the end of the day. Labors are done. Tools now put away. Candles are lit, the heart fire grows warm Your troubles behind you, safe from all harm Gentle Ginny gives blessings as you pass through the door The inn may be crowded, but welcome one more Though our harvest is slim, we'll share what we've got While back in the kitchen, Greasy Joan fills the pot Welcome here, travelers, come set ye a while. Enjoy our strong cider, the barmaid's sweet smile. Friends, draw near, our songs now begin. Your home once again at the Rose and Key Inn. Alfred's in the corner, propped up in his chair. While words paint pictures, his hands sculpt the air. Young lovers draw close, faces turn to the fire. Clashing opinions cut through the din James and Jeremiah are at it again Loud voices give way to mirth and delight Sure as evening dissolves into night Welcome dear travelers, come set ye a while Enjoy our strong cider, the barmaid's sweet smile Friends draw near, our songs now begin Your home once again at the Rose and Key Inn Bitter rains may fall, the north winds blow cold Your troubles and trials too much to behold The road you travel is twisted and long Lighten your load with the gift of our song True friends and family stand by you here When you're weary and weak you've got nothing to fear In the darkest of night when all hope grows dim You'll find your heart's rest at the Rose and Key Inn Welcome dear travelers, come set ye a while Enjoy our strong cider, the barmaid's sweet smile Friends draw near, our songs now begin Your home once again at the Rose and Key Inn Your home once again at the Rose and Key Inn Your home once again This show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Seuss performed our intro music, and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts.